So let's take a look at 1 Samuel 17. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word of the Lord? 1 Samuel 17, we're going to pick up at verse 55. Verse 55. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this, this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? How quickly he's forgotten the conversation he had when he tried to put his armor on him. So David answered and said, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He knew that he was willing to fight, but all of a sudden he realizes, who are you? Who is this kid? I mean, I was willing to have anybody step forward, but now this guy's slain Goliath. Who are you? And he says, I am your servant. Uh, of, of your, I, I am David, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite, speaks of his father, endearing by the way. Verse 18, now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off his robe that was on him and gave it to David, his armor, with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever, wherever, wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, also in the sight of Saul's servants. And now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. And this was the hit song on Israeli radio. And this is how the words went. The women sang and danced, and this is how the words went. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry. Not just angry, very angry. The idea is he was disturbed by the anger. He was undone by the anger. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed only thousands. Now what more can we ha he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped his presence twice. And once would be all it would take for me. <laughs> now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. Now, before you sit down, let me just read. You don't have to turn there. Why did the spirit depart from Saul? We remember that, that uh, Samuel was used of the Lord to confront Saul for his disobedience to the Lord. And in 1 Samuel 15, uh, verse 23, it reads, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. God has removed, and he said later, uh, his hand from you. And, and, and Saul was miserable, and he cried out to Samuel. Samuel was leaving and tore the corner of, of uh, Samuel's robe. And the kingdom was departing from Saul. And now all of a sudden, Saul sees in David somebody who's rising up. People love him. This might be the guy God's speaking of, and I'm going to get rid of him. And so he begins to be very angry, and he begins to plot how to kill David. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. God, give us insight and guide and direct us. I pray, Lord, that you'd minister to every heart. I pray, God, that you'd pour your spirit upon all who are present. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have a seat.
You know, David lops off the head of a nine foot, 10 inch giant. He inspires the armies of Israel to vanquish the enemies. Um, this is, this is a giant that for 40 days paralyzed the, the armies of Israel, paralyzed Saul, who was taller than anyone in all of Israel, and he was stunningly looking, and he's the only one who had armor, and he was the one fit to fight uh, Goliath, but wouldn't. And every day that, that Goliath came out and mocked the armies of Israel, uh, Goliath got bigger and the armies of Israel got smaller. And, and we, we see that they were paralyzed until this ruddy little boy shows up on the battlefield and, and with a sling and no bullets, by the way, with just a sling and rejecting the armor of Saul, which is the way of the world. And oftentimes people say, you can't win. You can't accomplish this because you don't have what they have. You're ill-equipped. You don't have the machine they have. I don't know if you saw in the last debate, they, they bust in two busloads full of SEIU union workers. Uh, they, before they went through all of uh, Oxnard and had a field day there and then came to the debate and quite a few of them showed up at the Grell debate. And, and this is an army that they can muster at just a snap of a finger and 87% of the funding is coming from these unions and they're just a, an enormous army and they're, they're impregnable and they're ginormous and they're frightening. And you just see the bus come in and the purple shirts come out and you, you just wonder. But in, in the same regard... It was David who just walked out there without any bullets. You know, you, you can throw your hat in the ring to run for an office. I remember when we did that, and I'd gotten a check from Texas for $250. And that was uh, almost $2 million ago. And where's $2 million going to come? I walked out with no bullets, threw my hat in the ring, and that's the same thing. He walks out with a sling against a, a, a giant that everyone said, nobody can beat this giant. This is a, a dominated area by this giant. And, and then when he engages the giant, then that's when he reaches down, picks up the stones and begins to run towards the giant after the giant mocks him and ridicules him. And he responds and the giant comes towards him and David runs towards the giant, sl- slays him, cuts his head off with Goliath's own sword because David didn't carry one. And now he returns to Saul and he carries the head of Goliath with him. And it's just, you know, the entrails are hanging down. It's fly laden, maggot laden. The eyes are probably popping out. It's got some sort of a ashen glow to it, you know, and, and just dropping this big lump on, on Saul's table. And Saul all of a sudden, okay, is he royalty? Who is this kid? Because I was told I'm losing my kingdom back in chapter 15. Who is this kid? This is a giant I couldn't kill, and now everybody knows about him. Whose son are you? Abner, whose is he? I don't know. As my soul lives, I have no idea who this kid is. Because David, for the majority of his 15, 16 years, has lived in obscurity, taking care of sheep is the least in his father's estimation. He's been playing a harp. He slayed a lion. He slayed a bear. But no one knew of this, and they probably wrote it off as fanciful, and no one ever saw it. And maybe you brought back the carcass, but you brought back the carcass because you found one dead, and you were just fortunate enough to find a lion and a bear carcass. And yet David comes back, and he tells his brothers, and the, the Lord testifies, you did it. And David gives glory to the Lord and, and says to Saul the same thing. And Saul's just so panicked, he says, go ahead and fight him. Now the battle's over. David hasn't been vanquished. David hasn't been annihilated. And so Saul's saying, who are you? Who is this guy? We didn't know who you were. We'd heard stories that you were a little, and your father said you were the least in his estimation. We're not sure who this kid is. You got to tell us who you are. Where did you get this weaponry? How is it that you inspired all these people to vanquish the Philistines? And David goes on. Interestingly enough, he gives credit to his father. He says, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He didn't say I am David. And, and I don't associate with my father who considers me to be the least. I want to talk to all of you tonight who have lousy dads. It's not an excuse for a failure in your life. Abraham Lincoln had an awful dad. Winston Churchill had an awful dad. 
And you can be a victim or you can be more than a conqueror. You don't get to pick the parents you get in this world, but you can pick the kind of parent you're gonna be. And, and regardless of the earthly father you had, remember this, God is your father now. And you couldn't have a better one. And there's no whining and no complaining. Just, just turn to him and look to him and watch as he restores the years of locusts have eaten. And, and no bitterness. There's forgiveness in David's heart. He didn't come out to lament the absence of his dad. He didn't come out to lament that he's the least in all of his family. He didn't, he didn't lament any of that. He was, he's not a complainer. He's not a whiner. He's, he's not anyone who finds bitterness. You know, you talk about bitterness. Bitterness creates envy, and then it creates strife, and then it creates jealousy. And then in, in, in everywhere in the New Testament that you find this idea of envy, the, the immediate word that follows it is murder. And you're jealous because somebody had it better, or you're jealous because you weren't treated as well as somebody else was, and you're going to make sure that the world knows that you didn't get a fair shake. We're in a fallen world. There's a lot of heartache And the idea is we are a a living testimony written on the hearts of men for others to read. We are more than conquerors. We're overcomers. We're we're new creatures in Christ. We forget what is behind. We strive for what is ahead, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. I'm not asking you to forget what was done to you. You can't. Only God can forget. I'm just asking you to put it in a file cabinet and close it. And when it comes out, just, you know, the Bible says... The Bible says, hold every thought captive to the mind of Christ. Take the picture and put it into context with what God's desiring. I know many a man uh, who, who had a lousy dad, but God uses an anvil to fashion them into amazing fathers, amazing men. And, and that's, that's how Winston Churchill would speak of his father. The thing he, he longed for the most was to serve in, in, in uh, the, the house of commons with his, with his father, and he lamented the fact that his dad had died of syphilis because he was a philanderer. His dad called him retarded. He still loved his dad. He would even save his mother, who was the same. They would call her a brazen hussy. They would even save his mother. I loved her, but at a distance. You know, everybody's got struggles. I'm not asking you to overlook them and write them off. And the idea is, you know, forgiveness removes this this bitterness that we carry through life. And forgiveness is just putting the consequences of what they did in the hands of the Lord. So you can sleep. God gives rest to those he loves. Let the Lord take care of it. Go to bed. Relax. You don't have to lay awake at night wanting revenge and trying to exact your ounce of flesh out of somebody who hurt you. The Lord is a man acquainted with sorrow. He knows the depths of your heart. He knows the pain you've endured. Give it to him and rest. Because being bitter, you're you're paralyzed by a poison that's only killing you while you wait for for the person you hate to die. It does you no good. It makes you a miserable person to be around. It it causes you to raise your children in fear. It it causes you to live with skepticism and pain and misery. And then then you go from being a victim to a perpetrator. And that's not what God entails us to do. Well, if they did it to me, I'm going to do it to someone else. No. No, it dies. We're dead. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. You don't have to exact revenge. You don't have to take it out on someone else because it was done to you. You're dead. You're dead. It's Christ who lives in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so when David comes and they inquire who he is and whose son are you, and he tells him, it's at this moment when, when, when Jonathan sees him, and Jonathan 
Much like David, and you'll see about Jonathan, that he'll go up against a, a cadre of, of Philistines with one servant. He says, if many are by few, you know, it, it, the Lord is the, the one who's going to be victorious. And he's fighting uphill against a, a garrison of Philistines who have the, the high ground, and he defeats them. And he's crawling up on shale. Jonathan is a warrior. Jonathan's a man who trusts the Lord. And Jonathan is a man who knows how to identify a man who follows the Lord. And the minute he sees David in Saul's presence, the minute he sees David in the presence of his father, the amazing thing about Jonathan, you want to talk about somebody with a lousy dad who did all right, Jonathan. Jonathan knew what it was like to be a lousy dad because he lived with one, but he would never allow himself to be that. Jonathan was a friend that the luckiest people in the world were the people who had Jonathan as a friend. I say that about my sister Nancy. Luckiest people in the world are people who have Nancy as a friend. That's how it is with Jonathan. And here Jonathan eyes David as he walks in. He's much to, to David's age. He walks in with his head. He walks in humble. He acknowledges his father. Immediately Jonathan's heart is knitted because he's heard the word. He's the least in Jesse's home. But he sees David bestow honor upon his father. And immediately Jonathan just goes, this kid gets it. There's no envy. There's no strife. There's no jealousy. There's no, there's no bitterness. This, this is a young man whose heart is solely sold to the Lord. Oh, he would have his flaws. We know him to be a murderer. We knew that he would be a, a, an adulterer. We knew he was a liar that we'd see in David's life. Everyone's going to fail. Welcome to the world of the fallen. But as we studied last week with, with David, it was because his heart was aligned. It was in step with God's. He would keep short accounts with the Lord and continue forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead. Jonathan saw this in David. And the minute that, that he finishes speaking to Saul, it says that in verse 18, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. People ascribe that to homosexuality. I ascribe it the same way that Bishop Huggins says of me, Rob, I love you as much as a man can love another man and still be a man. And, and, and the idea is this was a manly love. It was this idea of I see in you everything that a man should be. And, and I, one of the greatest compliments I've ever been given, and it was a stunning compliment, I, I, I didn't even expect it, and that was when Mario de la Piedra, who I ran against in the primary, and I beat him. And, and during the campaign, he had told me he wasn't sleeping, and I wanted to give him one of my books, 31 Days of Wisdom and Praise, and I said, let's have coffee, I'll give you the book, I'll help you to sleep. He said, okay, I'd like that. And then, of course, his handler said, no, you're not going to be able to meet with him, just stay away from him, and on and on. And he was getting all the pressure, and I knew it was awful. And here he was getting ready to get married, and he had a wedding to plan. And my heart went out to him, I prayed for him every night. And I'd call him, and I'd encourage him, every time I'd see him, I just said, you did great at the second debate. I just said, you are formidable, and he was. And Mario came up to me at the end of the election and I, I was talking with him. He says, Rob, I just want to tell you something. I never looked at you as an opponent. I always looked at you as a mentor. I thought, what a noble man. I, 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 I'm, I'm humbled by the accolade. I don't think he has good discernment, but I would say, <laughs> I, I would say it, was, it was one of these things where he didn't look at me as an opponent. He looked at me as a mentor. And this is Saul. Oh, excuse me, this is Jonathan. Jonathan sees David and he just says, you know what? I'm the prince. I'm the next one in line. I know what's happened with Samuel. I know my dad's gonna be dethroned and I'm supposed to be the next guy and if there's anyone who's supposed to have the throne, it's me. 
And the first thing is he sees his kid walk in. He sees the anointing and the hand of God all over him. He loves the way that he greets people. He loves his tenderness before the Lord. He loves his, his heart that is yielded. There's no bitterness, no envy, no strife as we've gone on. And the minute he sees him, his soul is knitted to David's and he loved him as his own soul. Verse two says, Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. You're in my palace now. And David's like, man, I'm a shepherd. I, I don't really want to do this. I like to play the harp. I like to tend sheep. I, I, I gotta, now I got to do protocol and I got to have manners. And I got to you know, make sure that the, the, how all the silverware works with the, you know, the salad fork and the, the protein fork and the knife and the spoon, the dessert, and then the water's on the right and the salad plate's on the left. And oh, I just thought I'd share that with you. But then it says in verse three, Jonathan and, and David made a covenant. And, and look how it begins. It says, Jonathan. Jonathan invokes the covenant. Jonathan's the one who has everything to lose. He says to David, I want to make a covenant. Because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan says this to David. He took off his robe, which is a sign of, of a prince. And he gave it to David. And he gave him his armor. He said, you're the one worthy to lead God's army. Not only did he give him his armor, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. He says, all of these are the weapons of a prince. And there's only one person in this room worthy to carry these, and it's not me. The humility of Jonathan. With a father like Saul. Give it a rest. Be a Jonathan. Heart knitted to David's, able to see an anointed one of the Lord because his whole life has been lived with his eyes on his heavenly father, living with an earthly father who is, is distraught and embittered and disobedient. He sees the compromise in his father's life. He would never speak ill of his father. He would die on his father's behalf, faithful to the very last breath. And, and Jonathan had such discernment that when he gave his robe, when he gave to, to David uh, his armor and his sword and his belt and his bow. And he said, there's only one prince in this room worthy to wear these and it's not me, it's you. Immediately in verse five, Jonathan's discernment is, is verified. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely, behaved wisely. You know, every battle you step into as, as you have more authority and the things that you have to do and the, and the decisions you have to make and, you know, every one of them, we, we've, we've stopped and we've fallen on our knees in prayer and asked God for wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, all he need but do is ask of God. I had no idea what I was supposed to do after the primary. I had no idea what I was supposed to do during the primary. I had no, I, no idea. But I'll tell you what, I was surrounded by Jonathan's and Jonathanas, female version. Joanna's, I don't know. And to inquire the Lord in prayer, people would say, well, how can I pray for you? Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. And then it says that David behaved wisely. That just mean with discernment. You know, it didn't say that he behaved with arrogance because it says Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. David could have looked in Saul and said, you know what, what are you, you're no king. I was anointed by Samuel. I don't need this. I don't, I don't need this lower class position. I'm supposed to be king. I was anointed. I just killed the giant. Move aside, old man. 
He didn't say that. You look for humility in those that are to lead. I'll tell you, the hardest thing for me is, is to get a dose of humility. It's like big piece of humble pie. Every turn, it's another big bite. And I'm so full, I don't think I can eat any more of that pie. He's got another piece and another piece. And, and David is just is set before him as a pie so big, good luck eating that. And I'll tell you why it's hard to eat humble pie. Because you think you deserve something else. It's hard to stomach when you think you should be eating something else. And David could have felt like he should have been eating at the king's table and he should have been drinking from silver goblets or golden goblets. He should have felt like he didn't have to wear the, the clothes of whatever assignment he was given. He should have the crown of the king. I was told by God, I was told by Samuel, I have killed that giant and I don't need to be doing this petty stuff. There is nothing beneath a servant. And if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you be a servant of all. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. And the true test of a servant, I've often said, is how you act when you're being treated like one. Are you embittered? Does it bother you? Didn't bother David. So much so that the people accepted him. They were moved by him. Who are the people that you admire most? Let's think of one that remembers your birthday and your anniversary, Pastor Marty. Every time I turn around, Pastor Brett is picking up trash someone else threw down. I look at Dawn, 150 coffees between the primary and the general election. She, she's there before I arrive and she leaves after I leave. She sets everything up. She follows through, doesn't get paid a dime. I look at that and I think, why are you so, and she says, I'm, I'm, I've only been a citizen a short time and I love this country. I'm moved by that. We take it for granted. She's moved by it, deeply moved. I look at that and I think, you know, there are times I look at Pastor Mark Swartz. He should have been the pastor of the church back in 2001 when I became the pastor. He's a wonderful teacher. You know what he does every Sunday? He sits behind that camera. He's never received anything from this church. He works all week long moving heavy equipment. And he serves the body faithfully. He's documented every baptism since I've been the pastor of this church. I see the silent servants. I can go on and on and on of the humble nature of those in this fellowship that, that are reflective in the halls of Jonathan. And yet, David was moved, and these servants saw in him a servant. There are times where the only thing I know that I'm doing right, the only confirmation I knew, know that I'm, I'm, I'm where God wants me to be is because he surrounds me with people like the ones I've mentioned. It's humbling. And that servants would speak of David in the same capacity. Verse six, and now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines. The women came out singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang as they danced. And you know, Saul's familiar with this and he's coming in victorious. The Philistines have been vanquished. Saul, David's the one who killed all the Philistines. David's the one who took Goliath down. Saul's in the front of the parade waiting to receive the accolades and he hears this hit song on Israeli radio. Saul has slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. And he's like, what is, what is the refrain on that? What is that song you're playing? 
What is, what is, who, who authorized this? And David is like, stop, no. What are they singing? Who's David? You, me, you guys, we, what are you talking about? Why are they singing? David is just stunned by it. No idea what they're singing. But the response of the man who was losing his kingdom, oh, and this is how we get. We're going to lose our little piece of our fiefdom. Someone else is coming in. Don't keep a tight grip on anything God's given you. You get a little bitter when it gets pulled out of your hand with your kung fu grip. God can lift one up and elevate one and lower another. He can do as he pleases. It's God who appoints positions of authority. Don't hold on too tight. Saul was very angry. It, 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 it had consumed him. Very means consumed. And the saying displeased him, which means he was undone. It, it, it caused him to a point of rage. Have you ever been so angry you want to just pummel somebody? I'll show them. They don't know who they're dealing with. I got that today. And I was Saul. How dare they? And you just hear the Lord going, calm down, cowboy. And you're driving, have a little conversation with the Lord. No, you don't understand. Rob, let me remind you a few things. My bad. You know, I mean, it takes the Lord moments to just hurt. My bad. But don't we love justice when we've been wronged? I'm the leader here. You'll shut up, do as you're told and like it. And, and, it, and he's very displeased that they had described to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Because Saul remembered 1 Samuel 15. He remembered, he remembered what Samuel had said. He goes, now he's going to take the kingdom. This is the guy. And what does it say? Verse 9, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. I got, I got my eye on you. Nick Cho does that to me all the time. But his is, I got you covered, I'm protecting you, nobody's going to mess with you. But I can imagine if he were an enemy, I'm like, I don't, could you stop that? Because I, I don't like it. You scared me. And Saul's just looking at David. Try it. Try it. You mess with a bull, you get the horns. Do you know who I am? I could crush you, I could squish you like a worm. And David just like, what's he upset about? What's going on? Hey, he's just oblivious to it. And, and David is a servant in the kingdom. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. What he was prophesying, I have no idea, but this distressing spirit comes upon him. And you know what the distressing spirit is? It's a spirit of bitterness. It's a spirit of envy. It's a spirit of murder. The New Testament always talks about envy before murder, envy, strife, jealousy. They're all listed. Just put those in your little you know, chambers of your six-shooter. And watch as you just take people out. And this distressing spirit comes upon them. And you know what it does to you, the distressing spirit? It keeps you up at night. It exhausts you. It breaks your will. It causes you to have uh, ruminations of how you're going to get back at them. Just like we studied with Ahithophel. 15 years he pondered how to get David back for, for violating his granddaughter and murdering his grandson-in-law. And he had a plan, and when Absalom was refused to take it, he was just so livid. He went and hung himself. Oh, that bitterness, that distressing spirit that just captivates you, causes you to be angry and blame everybody. 
Don't look inwardly. Don't hold it captive to the mind of Christ. Ruminate on it. Give it some thought. Let your hands be encompassed by it where your chest is tight and you're sweating and you lay awake wondering how you can get revenge. That's a distressing spirit. You're in trouble. You're going to end up someplace you don't want to be and you're going to regret what you're about to do. And in that distressed spirit, as it comes upon him, David's playing music with his hand, the harp. La, 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 la. Ring, 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 ring. And it says, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the spear. For he said, I will pin David to the wall. You can imagine, la, 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 And David's like the guy getting shot at in the Western. He's like, and he's just tap dancing, playing, trying to play louder. Maybe it's just that he didn't like the tune. He changes. Camp down, make And he just, you can imagine the shoom, And David, and the things are, and, and David doesn't go, you know who I am? I just took out a, a giant. I can break you like a dry twig, old man. When you get a spear thrown at you, here's the secret. If you want to meet man's after, a man after God's own heart, don't throw back. Everybody's going to die. Just play louder. As he's playing... He throws another one. David goes, okay. He just kind of walks out, escapes. Doesn't throw either one back. He goes, ah, I think you're having a bad day, king. I'll just leave you alone. As he ducks under the spear, keeps walking. He doesn't complain. He goes, what a madman. What a nightmare. I don't need this. I'm going back doing a, I'm a giant killer. They're singing about me. The people love me. Who are you? How dare you? Blah, blah. No. You don't throw the spear back. And then the verse concludes, or the passage concludes by saying, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. But it departed from Saul. You go through the remainder of 18, and you see in verse 15 that David behaved very wisely. You go down to verse 30 of chapter 18. It says, now the princes and the Philistines went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name became highly esteemed. It was killing, it was killing Saul because David was just serving and he kept rising and Saul kept getting bitter and kept sinking. How could he do this? How do, you, how do you deal with that? I have to tell you, I want to throw the spear back. I do. It upsets me. I want to get angry. I went today to meet with a guy who said, I watched your debate. Your answers were good. But only 35% is verbal communication. The rest is body language. And you looked angry. I was. He goes, it showed. He just smile. He said, when you're sitting there, I want you to think Jesus loves me. I want you to sing that song. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
Yes, Jesus loves me. And he was saying, he goes, I, I want you to sit there and I want you to enjoy the presence of the Lord. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Calm down. They're not your enemy. They're beloved of God. Minister, just be calm in your answers and relax. I thought, gosh, Lord, I don't think I behaved wisely. Would you forgive me? Turn and look at them when you're talking. And when they're talking, listen to what they're saying. Look at them. People deserve to be looked at. And when you're looking at them, smile. And be kind. And be gracious. I just thought, I got a lot to learn in order to behave wisely. But I still ponder how David did it. Colossians, the Apostle Paul would write in Colossians 3, verse 23, says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men. That's the only way you can deal with that, is realize what I'm doing, I'm doing is unto the Lord. And what can man do to me? They're not my enemy. If God be for me, who can be against me? The battle belongs to the Lord. I'm an instrument in his hands. And I, I can smile always. That's the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Right? Why are we upset? Why is our soul downcast? And then I close with these words that David wrote. And this is a reflection of what God instilled in him in the palace as those spears were hitting the wall. As his world was being turned upside down and he was living with a madman who was growing increasingly more mad. Psalm 37, David writes, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth. You know what meekness is? It's called strength under control. It's a bit in a horse's mouth. Big giant stallion guided by a little piece of metal. And the Lord pulls, and it goes to the right. And the master pulls, and it goes to the left. And it pulls back, and the master pulls back, and this beast stops. Meekness, strength under control. Do you think... That the nails held Jesus to the cross? Do you think? He was God. It was his humility and his love. He was God. Not my will, but thy will be done. Nails don't hold God. Love did. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My heart is aligned with yours. Lo, it is written of me in the volume of the book. I've come to do thy will. That's what they would speak of David. That's why they would call Jesus the son of David. 
Because David did all of the will of the Lord, the scripture declares. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. The evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth, and the Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and the needy and to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. The Lord, he has rejected you from being king. David said, I didn't reject you. God did, Saul. My job is to love you. Not kill you. He had opportunities and he never did. Who am I to touch the Lord's anointed? We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. There's a confidence. But that confidence comes when we realize that he's the prince of peace. He is our strength. He is our stronghold. He is our high tower. The righteous run into him. They are saved. Don't fret the evildoer. Calm down. Don't be bitter. Don't be angry. And that's the lesson from David's life. And if for no one else in the room, it's for me. But I think as I'm looking, it landed. (laughs) Father, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the son of David. It wasn't the nails that held you, it was your love. Meekness, strength under control. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us and the way in which you comfort us and minister to us way in which the spears hit, one on the left, one on the right, and we just keep playing or we move on if you tell us to move, but we never pull them out and throw them back. We just realize, God, you are in complete control. We go where we're told and we do what we're called to do. We're servants. We speak when we're spoken to. We offer opinions when we're asked. And Lord, as you place us into this realm of the kingdom, as you call us into this world of... I would say the political process. We ask like David that we would behave wisely, not just wisely, very wisely, not just very wisely, but more wisely than all the servants. That we would understand the times, that we would be mindful of how to minister to those you've called us to minister to. We get so stuck in the walls of the church that we forget about the citizens outside the walls and that we are the salt of the earth. Salt penetrates and we're the light of the world. Light radiates. And Lord, we're to get into every heart and we're to light the path for all to see that we would lay down common grace so that saving grace may be found. Lord, we will not shrink from this calling. We will not despise what is happening right now as the spears are being thrown. We trust you. And God, you're in complete control. And I thank you that in the midst of it, you give us rest on all sides. We praise you, we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.